1: This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. He
2: takes everybody up. Messi has got it!
1: From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele, our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan Rapinoe. From Zlatan Ibrahimović's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapinoe's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair...
0: Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending in QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo,
1: quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to
2: go. Touchdown. Yeah, you heard it there. This is Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire podcast network. I am Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers for NinersWire.com, part of the USA Today sports media group. He is Chris Biederman. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. And Chris, it is officially hot. And my air conditioner has gone out in my home. And so beating the heat has become nigh impossible.
3: I mean the good thing for it's you is terrible news. You, it it is really tough news and I feel for you immensely. The good thing yeah. for you is you do get to go to work. Like you do get to leave your house for work.
2: Yeah, and my girlfriend does now as well.
3: Where I'm leaving my house maybe once or twice a week.
2: Yeah, the the thing I'm concerned about is my cats. <laughs> I had two kitties running around. Oh, okay. Um so I'm hoping that getting the windows open tonight will cool it down enough. Um that uh that the cats will be okay till I can get home and start turning some fans on and such. So, uh, well, I, I, beating I the heat I is for, opening windows and a couple of uh, vertical fans. I,
3: I I speak for myself and I know a lot of listeners. Yeah. that I I hope you can beat the heat. Thank you. And uh, and yeah. get the air conditioning situation figured out.
2: So the other reason that my AC going out is not is not awesome. Is and we'll talk Niners here in a minute. So if you want to, if you want to skip through all our life BS, then just kind of fast forward a ways. Uh, we'll start talking about Cam Newton here in a minute. But, uh, I decided that I was going to join a six week old internet trend and try making my own sourdough bread.
3: I think that's older than six weeks.
2: This, like, uh, who knows? Time doesn't matter anymore. (laughs) Um, so this two month, this either six year or two month, or six-week-old internet trend of making my own sourdough bread. And it turns out that when you're making the sourdough starter, a process that takes about a week, the starter can't get above like 85 degrees or it will die. Because the sourdough starter, it's water with flour, you mix it, And then you take out half of it and feed it with, quote unquote, feed it with more water and flour. And then you just repeat that process.
3: There's yeast in there, right?
2: Yes. Well, that's that's the the flour and water and letting it sit creates the yeast. Got it. So, um, so I'm doing that and I find out that it's not supposed to get over X amount of degrees. So um, I have now moved it to a spot because it was kind of sitting near a window. I've moved it away from a window. And I'm now hoping that my sourdough starter that I've worked so hard on doesn't die.
3: Man, that's brutal.
2: I know, dude, this is, this is, these are the things I'm dealing with. Uh, and when, when I want to actually complain about it, I realize that like my sourdough starter and being sweaty in my home are the two biggest things I have to worry about right now. And, uh, that's fine. I'll deal with that. Yeah. You know, I have a a roommate. Right. Yeah, for sure.
3: Um, I, I have a roommate not to brag, (laughs) <laughs> but uh, my roommate, my roommate is a big sourdough guy. So we've had a sourdough starter now going on uh, probably two months. And uh, he's made some really good bread with it. Um, some is more sour than others. I think the longer you, you let the starter sit, the more sour it gets.
2: Oh, um, interesting.
3: Yeah, sourdough sourdoughs really, really good. Um, and so, yeah, it's fun. It's been fun to have fresh bread every, I don't know, a couple weeks or so. We've yeah, been, that's uh, great. Making making sandwiches with fresh bread is a completely different experience, particularly when you can toast it.
2: Yeah, I, we used to get these bread coupons for. Uh, I don't know if wait, you're familiar. Wait,
3: wait, wait, wait! Did you just say coupons? Coupons. You're okay. Coupons. You're a coupons person.
2: Yeah, is that okay. all right? I'm also a gift person.
3: Sure, but I mean, a lot of people say coupons.
2: Coupon. Coupon. Okay. That's what fine. do you say? Coupon. Coupon. <laughs>
3: It's it's coupon, but I mean you can say coupon, if you want.
2: Okay, we used to get these free certificates <laughs> for <laughs> at the radio station I worked at in college for Boudin the the bread factory, yeah. and they make really good sourdough. And it was you just go in there and you hand them the thing and they they're like, all right, pick out whatever bread you want. And so we used to get a loaf of dark baked sourdough, uh, so it had like the dark crust and yeah, we used to toast it and make sandwiches, avocado toast, stuff like that. It was great. It was so good. And when you're a broke college student, that's prime.
3: I grew up on sourdough baguettes because Mm. um, my dad and I, my my dad was a a single father for most of the time I was growing up, uh, would basically just like do meat and vegetables. So there was there wasn't a whole lot of fiber going on. So my dad would solve that issue (laughs) with uh, a baguette of of, uh, sourdough. So that was like what I grew up on. And sourdough has, has and always will be my favorite bread. Can't beat a good sourdough, so I'm happy to be living in uh, in the Bay Area, where where you can get good sourdough. Typically.
2: All right, we beat the heat. We've talked up sourdough bread. Let's talk a little football. Sure. Cam Newton signs with the Patriots, one year incentive laden deal. I've heard the term "incentive laden" more times in the last 48 hours than I have in the last 48 weeks. Uh, Cam Newton, one year deal. He can earn up to seven and a half million dollars. I don't really want to dive super deep into the Cam Newton fit with the Patriots, but looking at the Niners week seven matchup uh, that was never going to be easy going to new England and facing Bill Belichick, uh, regardless of who's under center, that's always going to be a tough matchup, but I think it got a little bit tougher with assuming Cam Newton is, is healthy and starting a quarterback.
3: Yeah. there. I don't think there's any doubt about it. And Cam Newton has had a lot of success against the 49ers recently. Obviously the Niners back in, the 2013 playoffs went to Carolina as a wild card team and wound up beating a pretty good Carolina team that year uh for the right to play the Seahawks in the in the NFC title game but since then I know the Niners went to Carolina and got smashed by Newton in 2016 uh Kyle Shanahan's very first game as head coach was a home opener week one 2017 against Carolina um and the 49ers obviously lost that one they because they lost their first nine games but um <laughs> No, but, like, if Cam's healthy, I think he could be really good with the Patriots because no coaching staff is better at figuring out how to maximize and tailor their schemes to their talent yeah. uh, in the NFL. Like, they're, they're the best. They're the best at doing that. So if that means um, incorporating Cam into the running game, I think he has something absurd like 58 career rushing touchdowns. Um, then that can be deadly, and I think that could be a way you make up for a lack of skill position talent that you have. And they already have a really good defense, so we've seen this formula work before where you have a quarterback who can help you in the running game. Uh, You could sort of play ball control keep away. We know the Patriots are going to be good at special teams, Um, and you factor in their defense, and now you have a quarterback and potentially a quarterback who can make your running game really dynamic then you could be a really tough team to beat. And it's a similar formula to what the 49ers had under Jim Harbaugh when Colin Kaepernick was here. Um, it's a little bit similar in the st- from the standpoint of the 49ers have a really good defense and running game right now, and they'll they'll play to that. So I think, um, obviously it looks a lot different. Jimmy Garoppolo isn't part of the running game. Um, but I think the Patriots could be really good. And, you know, like if if Newton is healthy, and the circumstances are right. And Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels are, are doing their thing. Like, I don't see any reason why you wouldn't have the Patriots as the favorites in the AFC East right now. But I do think Buffalo's really like going to be a really tough team to beat all year. Yeah. Um, so just from a continuity standpoint, given how weird this offseason is, I still might give the nod to the Bills. Um, but the Patriots have a really high upside now. And you're right, like that week seven game going to New England is presumably going to be a lot tougher with Cam Newton, a former MVP, a guy who's had a lot of playoff experience. Um, It's going to be a lot harder than going against Jared Stidham.
2: I'm fascinated to see what that offense looks like, because Cam Newton, for for as good as he is and as physically gifted as he is, like his passing numbers have never really been impressive and yep. what makes him dangerous is that running ability and the fact he plays quarterback like a linebacker. And so I'm I'm really interested to see what kind of the next version of his game looks like because I think self-preservation is going to need to be more of a more of a priority for him and I think the Patriots are going to want him to be a more consistently good thrower. His yards per attempt since 2013 is 7.1. His interception rate is 2.7, which is the same as Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, yep. with the 49ers. Uh, his touchdown rate is less than 5% since 2013. So I think he needs he's going to need to be a more efficient passer, and I think he's going to need to run less. But like you said, the Patriots are, are the best from, from a coaching standpoint of maximizing their talent, and Cameron Newton is extremely talented. And if they're getting the best out of him, that's a dangerous offense.
3: And whenever Cam has had a really good defense, the Panthers have been really good. Yeah. Right. So he's going to have – he's walking into a situation now where he is arguably the best defense in the AFC still, um, irrespective of, you know, whatever weapons he has. And it might be rough because we're talking about, you know, the coronavirus offseason where training camp is, is really going to be the only on-field work Cam gets. He's coming off injuries. But – um. I don't know if you saw that video. I really like that video that he posted on social where he's like, I don't have a lot to say, but I'm at your neck.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's and, a perfect thing to say.
3: Yeah. And then it just cut out to a Pat's logo and uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Like Cam Newton's a really entertaining player um, from a media perspective. And in, in my very limited experience with Cam, it hasn't been awesome. Um. Well, actually, I can tell the story. I don't think I don't think Cam's going to listen. Let me. Hey, let me. uh,
2: I don't know. I heard he's an avid listener. Let me just to your point real quick. Yeah. Uh, The Panthers with Cam Newton in 2011 went six and ten. They had the 28th ranked total defense. Uh, In 2013, when they went 12 and four, they were number two in total defense. 2015, that was the year they went 15 and one. They were number six in total defense. And 2017, they were number seven. Uh every other year, with the exception of twenty fourteen, when Cam uh as a starter went five, eight, and one, they had a defense outside of the top ten.
3: Yeah. So it, it's and it's the Pats defense control. is gonna
2: be in that top five range.
3: Yeah. Yeah, they won eleven five in twenty seventeen, to your point. Um can I tell my Cam Newton story? Please. So I'm covering uh the Panthers for the Associated Press, while the Panthers are practicing at San Jose State because they had games, uh, I want to say back-to-back games on the West Coast against Seattle and the Raiders, and I think this was 2016. And so um, the Panthers are not very good in 2016. Uh, I'm talking to their beat writers, trying to figure out, like, what's something interesting to write about. There isn't really anything at this point in the year. Uh, so Cam Newton the night before had gone to the Warriors game, and he's boys with Steph Curry because, you know, Curry's a Panthers fan from Carolina. Under Armour guys. Uh, yeah, they're both Under Armour guys, so they hung out. And I was like, cool, maybe this is my angle. This is what I can write um, for uh, for the Associated Press. And then so I tried to talk to Cam in, in the scrum after practice or whatever at San Jose State, and I say, uh, you know, like, could you talk about your night with I didn't I didn't say could you talk about, but I was trying to get him to talk about the night with Steph and all that. And his answer to my question, whatever it was, was just nunya. And then he looked at the other reporters. And he's the only person to Dynamite. He's the only person to ever give me a nunya.
2: Did he quote Brink at you? I I have no idea. Remember the Disney movie Brink anybody? No, someone tweet me if you know that reference.
3: I I do not know that reference, but First and only, I've gotten like, uh, you know, no comment or I don't want to answer that question before everybody has, but like, never a nunya. It was none of my business. Apparently, what Cam Newton and Steph Curry did. And at I mean, the he's game or after he's the, not after wrong. The game.
2: But I want to know what salacious things Steph Curry got into that Cam's like that's none of your business. Don't worry about it.
3: Well, I mean, it's you know, <laughs> like if you're it. it I, I totally understand him like having personal moments with people with anybody and and not wanting that to just be out there and be a story, um, but to say to 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 respond to a reporter with none is is funny and you know like athletes athletes are different Cam's different um everybody's seen the Super Bowl video uh, after they lost it, it he's not known for being awesome with the media but you know what I am really looking forward to. Uh, to all the jackets that are that are going to come out now that he's going to be in New jackets. England after home games. Like November and December, like Cam's jacket game is going to be fire.
2: Can't wait to see Cam Newton's jacket game in New England. And I wonder if Bill Belichick will pick up any any fashion tips from hopefully
3: Cam. A, hopefully a headscarf. Yeah. I could see Belichick rocking a headscarf. That would be nice.
2: Underneath a hoodie, I could rock with that. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's get to a break and let's talk about the 49ers.
3: Right. there is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners betonline.ag sports are slowly making their way back and bet online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all ufc nascar boxing and soccer matches and if you need even more they have simulated nfl nba and ufc simulations all day every day live on their website looking for someone For something else other than sports, BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering expert.
2: All right, let's talk about the 49ers defensive line as we continue to kind of roll through the 90 man roster. We've been doing it week by week, but we had to move some scheduling things around and we're diving back in now. So we finished up the offense. We're going to jump over to the defensive line where I think the starting group is for the most part set. Um, you have down here in, in the rundown, and I, and I think that that this is correct in in the base defense, it's. Uh, from left to right on the line, it's Eric Armstead at defensive end, DJ Jones and Javon Kinlaw are the tackles, and Nick Bosa's is on the other end. And then in sub packages, uh, it's D Ford uh, on the left side with Armstead, Kinlaw, and Bosa. It's from left to right, uh, but then they'll obviously move around uh, as as they see fit. But uh, I, I I think that that starting group is pretty much set. I want to start off here, uh, Chris. Is there is there anyone you see? Uh, penetrating that starting unit and and maybe knocking out one of either uh, Kinlaw or Jones because I think Bostar and Armstead are probably pretty set.
3: Uh, not really, because you're talking about four first round picks, right? And um, two of those dudes, at least, in, if if you're talking about Ford and Sub, is are very expensive. So um, I think, and barring injury, of course, I think this this is all pretty much set. Um, I guess the the spot where you could potentially see a little bit of movement might be nose tackle, mm-hmm. because you have DJ Jones coming off an ankle injury. Um, I think DJ Jones is actually going to be really good, and, and I do too. I think he's one of the guys who could break out uh, this season in terms of you know guys who haven't necessarily established themselves as as consistent quality players. I think DJ Jones could could become that guy, but given how entrenched and, and how invested the 49ers are and everyone else, those guys are going to start. Um, maybe Solomon Thomas gets a little bit of run if there's some injury somewhere along the line. Um, maybe Julian Taylor is somebody who could, I mean, he could replace um, Jones at nose tackle if, if there were an injury or something there. But no, I I think the starters are, are pretty much set, and, and I think the 49ers are are pretty excited about rolling that group back out again, particularly Nick Bosa in year two, um, D4 healthier. Uh, we'll have to see what Kinlaw brings and and if Armstead can replicate his really good season, I I think he can, but, um, it's still gotta be, you know, if it's not the best in the league, it's certainly top
2: three. When you mentioned it there, Kinlaw and Armstead are the two guys I'm with you. I think Jones is at worst, a really solid starter. Uh, Um, and, and Nick Bosa I think is going to be, uh, you know, defensive player of the year candidate for the next five or six years. D Ford had the knee surgery. I think he'll be better and, and hopefully on the field more consistently this year. But it feels like Armstead and Kinlaw are the two guys that are really the linchpin to this whole thing because they, they took Kinlaw number 14 overall to presumably replace DeForest Buckner and they signed Eric Armstead to a long-term, uh, pretty expensive contract. So those are the two guys that, that I think are really where the success of this defensive line is going to hinge because if Eric Armstead's is going to be a 10-sack guy again and Javon Kinlaw can be, what, 70% of the player DeForest Buckner was? 65%, 70%? Yeah. It, it's, it's hard to believe this defensive line takes a big step back.
3: Yeah, I think it's ultimately the D-line is going to be as good as, as guys are healthy. Right. Like yeah. Nick Bosa, I it's safe to say Nick Bosa playing every single game last year was a relative surprise given that, you know, the not coming in on him was durability. Um, so, yeah, Bosa did it for one year, but now he's got to do it for a second year. Um, Armstead's had a lot of injuries in the past. Right. So, I mean, and Ford's obviously been nicked up, too. So if everybody's healthy, um, I, the D-line is going to be excellent. It's going to be great. If if they're dealing with injuries and you're talking about Solomon Thomas having to play more, um, Ronald Blair, having to start, um, Contavious street, getting a lot of run in the rotation. Then I'm a little bit more worried. Um, because I think, you know, the, the secondary last year was excellent, but losing Joe Woods, the, the passing game coordinator on the defensive side, who's now the coordinator for the, for the Browns, of course, that, that is a significant loss. um, So I I do wonder what the secondary is going to look like this year because it could be that what we thought about the secondary last year might apply this year, right? Like we saw the secondary Mm -hmm. not make any moves um, outside of bringing in Joe Woods and then they got good health and suddenly the secondary went from one of the worst in the league to one of the best. right Um, Now without Woods, with that same personnel that we were critical of going into last year, I wonder if it's going to look a little bit more um, more pedestrian, I guess, but you can mask a lot of secondary issues if your pass rush is getting home, and particularly if you only have to rush four guys. So, and that's not to say, you know, you and I are the uh, the first settlers at Jamie Ward Islands. Yes. Richard Sherman's obviously still really good, and he's going to be in a contract year. Um, and you know, like, so I, I, it's going to be about the health for the for the D-line for me because if everybody's available for, you know, 14 games or whatever, like it's going to be really good.
2: Well, yeah, and I think we saw the pass rush slip a little bit last season when they started having defensive ends go down backup defensive ends and their their reserve defensive tackles um they they were really good when they just had kind of a relentless group that that wanted opposing quarterbacks for four quarters, but when that depth went away, when Ronald Blair went down, um, when uh, Demontre Moore went down, and then there was there was another injury on that side. Um, yeah, D Ford went out. Uh, DJ Jones got hurt. Like they just had all these injuries on the defensive line, and the and and when the depth suffered, uh, the the starting group wasn't as effective, especially late in games. So I think that's going to be really important too. Is figuring out who the best. Uh, group of players is behind them Especially pass rushers uh, They brought in Kerry Hyder From the Cowboys in free agency And he had his best year As a pro in 2016 In Detroit under Chris Kosurik And he tore his Achilles uh, The following year And hasn't really been the same since But you, you you have him You have Contavious Street coming back Julian Taylor, Kevin Givens uh, Solomon Thomas who you mentioned earlier uh, Blair's coming off the torn ACL uh, he expects to be back for the start of the year. I, I just, I think out, outside of that starting group, I think when you look at the Niners roster, I think this is the deepest group uh, on 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 that roster.
3: Really, you think the D lines is the deepest group they got?
2: Yeah, okay. yeah. Just if if everybody's playing well, um, Julian Taylor. Granted, it was a pretty small sample size, but uh, he made a few plays last year. He can do some stuff um ronald blair is good i think solomon thomas in the right role is obviously not uh, a number three pick type of good but i think he can be an effective nfl player uh, as yeah. long as you're not leaning on him to rush the passer off the edge and then if you're getting uh if you're getting some production from from Kerry Hyder and um and i mentioned julian taylor if he can come in and, and spell jones and kinlaw uh, i i think they're pretty good
3: so i actually think as I think the Niners defensive line is their best um position group. I think that's obvious. I don't think it's their deepest. I actually think the offensive line has the chance to be the deepest one, the deepest group. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Dan Brunskill, Justin School. They're, we have a, back we they're ha- we, starters. We Sean have Coleman. a podcast topic. Yeah. Sean Coleman. Colton McKivitz, Tom Compton. You got a lot of guys who could potentially be starters who are gonna be, you know, the third backup.
2: Okay, I can dig it. Um, do you think D Ford is going to be like what? So he had surgery. He had tendonitis in his knee that had gotten so bad that he needed to have it surgically repaired, which is pretty rare, but this was an issue for him going back to his last year in Kansas city in 2018. Mm -hmm. When Ford was on the field last year, he was really good. And the Niners pass rush was noticeably better. And I think that was really clear in the divisional playoff against, against the Vikings, there were times where he would line up on the same side as Bosa and Minnesota just didn't really have an answer. And I'm not sure any offensive line would uh, with those two guys coming from the same side. Uh, Are you, what, what type of season are you expecting from D Ford? Assuming he's healthy. Is he a guy who can be 10, 12 sacks and a few forced fumbles, or is he not going to be on the field enough to make that happen?
3: If you look at the trajectory of Ford's career, he He has one really good year, a down year that has to do with injuries, a really good year, and then a down year that has to do with injuries. So if you go back and follow the trend of the last six years, Ford's due to have a big season, right? 2015, he had four sacks um, in 14 games. He had 10 sacks next year in 2016. Really, his first time as a full-time starter, only played in six games. I I want to. I forget what the injury was. only played in six games in 2017, two sacks, and then 13 sacks in 2018, um, and leading the NFL with seven forced fumbles and leading the league in most turnover-worthy worthy plays because he had a few interceptions forced uh, via his pressure. So I think, I mean, just based off that trend, we're due for a good D Ford season. And listening to him talk in, in the Zoom call we had with him in the spring, he was really optimistic. He was, you know, he said he was basically playing on a blown tire last year, um, and and he feels miles better than than what now than than what he did. So um, if that's true, and you know, you you take players, uh, I think you take players talking about they w- the way they feel after injuries with, with sort of a grain of salt until you see them play. But um, you know, if if D Ford is feeling way better than last year. And last year, I think P- Pro Football Focus said he was one of, in terms of pass rush productivity, when he was on the field, he was he had one of the 10 best 10 pass rush productivity rankings um, in the entire league. So, you know, six and a half sacks while playing 22% of the snaps is a really good number. So you would think if he's healthy and able to double up his snap count um, at least that he would be – hovering around double digits and if d ford and nick Bosa are both available and both in the double digit range on top of what you have inside with eric armstead who had 10 sacks last year and then javon kinlaw if you think he's going to be um effective from the jump like the niners are going to be in a really good spot yeah and whenever one is playing well d ford is going to have a ton of opportunities so um just based on the trajectory like i said i think ford ford is due for a good year but you know, he is a little bit older now. He's, he's going to be 29. Um, it is another surgery, and it's a knee surgery, so a pretty significant one at that. So you always have to take that into account. But I think Ford looks at the future in that if he doesn't have a good season, it's probably his last big payday in the league, right? Right. If he has a really good year, then the 49ers keep him around, um, and he makes a ton of money going forward but they have an out after the season um, because all the guaranteed money is going to be gone. So if Ford isn't if Ford isn't really good, the 49ers are more than likely going to move on because we know cap space is going to be at a premium. And I think Ford and maybe Quan Alexander might be in the same boat in that those guys might be the ones that um, they have to get rid of if they're giving big contracts, if and when they're big, giving big contracts to George Kittle, Fred Warner, um, and maybe Trent Williams too. So, it's a big season for Ford. It's more or less a contract year and uh so I think it is it is going to be it projects to be a good season for him, but we'll have to see.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by what the 49ers plan is with him beyond this season because like you said, they can they can let him go for pretty cheap and even if he has a really good year, they may look into they may look into letting him go and and trying to trying to replace him but yeah, if, 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 him. if if he has 15 sacks this year i have a hard time believing they just outright let him go like he like you just said uh he may be a trade candidate so that's something i'm i'm watching you know big picture down the line we talked a little bit about dj jones and and what kind of player he's going to be what's his ceiling this year is it is it can he make a pro bowl or is it just one, is he one of those guys that you know, maybe becomes the trendy uh, guy to talk about among 49ers fans and writers.
3: He could be like the hipster, the hipster underrated guy, like the the hipster football fan will be like, hey, you know, who's underrated on the Niners D line? It's DJ Jones. And like, you'll hear you'll hear it on the broadcast. And Chris Collinsworth will bring up what he did to the Seahawks last November. Right. Um, I don't know that. He's gonna play enough to really like garner Pro Bowl consideration, and I just like nose tackles. His job yeah. is is to eat up double teams and right. and clog the run. Like, he'll get he'll probably get more pass rushing opportunities this year than he has at any point before. Um, but you know i I would be really surprised if he had more than like five sacks. Right, like five to me. Yeah, yeah like that the, that would be absolute ceiling.
2: Yeah. Okay, that's uh. Yeah, I, I, I said I said Pro Bowl, but knowing that uh the chances a nose tackle makes a Pro Bowl is, is probably pretty slim. But yeah, you I think like he can be but Vita I think Pea. he can be but I think he can be that good. Where you two sacks last year. Where and they were dominant. Like yeah. he had the one against the Panthers and Kyle Allen where it was like he was shot out of a cannon uh and, and dragged the quarterback down, and then the one he had against the Seahawks, he just bulldozed to think it was Joey Hunt, the center. Yeah and and got in the backfield so i i think he's gonna i think he's gonna have a really productive year but i don't think it'll be enough on the stat sheet to to warrant a pro bowl selection but i do predict outrage from 49ers fans on why dj jones didn't make the pro bowl so that's what i mean by pro bowl caliber um is solomon thomas what the the niners didn't pick up his fifth year option what what's his what's his what's his role? What's he, is, he, is he strictly a, a reliever on the inside? Is he is he going to play on the edge in, in some in some running situations? Like what what's what do you think Solomon Thomas's role is?
3: I think it's going to be as the fifth defensive lineman. Um, I think he is going to see some time on the edge, um, even though he's probably not very good there uh i am curious to see what his body looks like because he cut a lot of weight last year and um it was mentioned by it's it's been mentioned by 49ers coaches that like he might have been too light to really be effective on the inside and that's where that's where his skill set probably projects the best so he was like he was edge size um but playing inside just didn't yield the results that it might have if he got stronger so Uh, We'll have to see if he gets stronger Then I think he he would have a good chance at at being a significant contributor as a pass rusher on the inside, Um, because you just don't know what to expect from Javon Kinlaw. Is he going to come in and be a good player right away Um, or is he going to go through lumps that a lot of rookies do and he's not going to be a super productive player or like an every down starter? until you know his second season so maybe Solomon Thomas who's also in a contract here by the way um, takes up some of those snaps you obviously lost Sheldon Day who played a decent amount of pass rushing snaps last year so maybe Solomon Thomas can fill in there if DJ Jones isn't getting all those Um, but he can move around I mean you could play him as a as a run player and base on the edge Um, you know if if you need to give Nick Bosa or Armstead a drive off um, we've seen that, like in in you know second and third quarters, um, Robert Sala or Chris Kasurick will just play the backups for basically a whole series, right. just to just to give guys a blow so they have energy you know later in the game. Um, so that's probably where Thomas fits in is during is when you're resting the starters and and if you have injuries, obviously he could be in there. He is versatile in the sense that they they like the fact that they can line him up anywhere. He hasn't been super productive from any one spot, but I do agree with everyone else who says that he's better on the inside as than an edge player. I've always thought that. I thought that going back to watching him at Stanford and going to his pro day. Um, but, you know, if Solomon Thomas is your fifth or sixth offensive lineman, like you have a pretty good D-line.
2: Yeah, I just – I'm out on Solomon Thomas ever being like a super productive player. I saw, I yeah. saw, I saw some optimism that that being in a position where he can play a bunch of snaps at defensive tackle would allow him to to have a season unlike uh, or allow him to have opportunities unlike he's gotten to this point. I just, I, I don't see it, man. I think he's a he's a pretty replacement level defensive lineman, um, and I, I think the biggest question with him is whether he gets another contract with the 49ers or not
3: yeah i think they have a good relationship yeah i think solomon thomas um and john lynch have a have a really unique relationship um and that's you know that stems from the way the 49ers and lynch in particular backed him when you know thomas went through family tragedy and all that a few years ago but yeah i'm kind of with you like they didn't pick up his fifth year option obviously But on the other hand, like the 49ers know him better than anybody. And, you know, they might value him more than a team on the open market would. So um, we'll have to see. But, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I used to think that, well, maybe this guy could be like a Chris Long, somebody who could eventually carve out a role and then be like a five or six sack guy in a rotation for a long time. But I'm a little bit more pessimistic now, but we'll have to see. Um. Can I ask All you right. a question?
2: Mm, fine.
3: Who's leading the Niners in sacks?
2: Nick Bosa. I think Nick Bosa is going to have like 16 sacks this year.
3: Okay. Does Nick yeah, Bosa win I, Defensive Player of the Year?
2: Mm, no. No, I don't think so.
3: Who? I, I think. I think he is. Who would you? Who? Huh. Who would you take? Are you gonna? Would you go like Aaron Donald or?
2: man i don't know don't ask me these questions i haven't looked into this okay (laughs) like like i mean i wouldn't um i i i don't i wouldn't bet money that bosa doesn't win it but like if you're just playing odds um i i think the niners defense might take a little bit of a step back this year and awards like that are are so narrative based um that if the Niners are going eleven and five and their pass defense is only the tenth best in the league, I I, I could see where where Bosa kind of gets written off.
3: Um, you know what's funny about Defensive Player of the Year is like it's very hard to remember who won Defensive Player of the Year in what year.
2: I had no idea that Stephon Gilmore won it
3: last year. Did you just Google it?
2: No, okay. uh, I I forget why I saw that recently, but I just I I had no idea.
3: Yeah, because like you always think of guys, like you think of defensive player of the year as like, oh, that person won it. Like JJ Watt won a bunch of defensive player of the years and uh Aaron Donald won a bunch and um but you can't unless you're like a real a real knowledgeable fan, nobody can name like all the years that those players won defensive player of the year, right? Yeah. So it's just kind of like one of those things like, oh yeah, he won defensive player of the year once. He's, you know, he's elite. We know that.
2: Yeah, I I think I just remember defensive players just, like, in stretches by era. Yeah. Like, oh, that was the J.J. Watt era. This is the Aaron Donald era. There was a Khalil Mack era sprinkled in there. Yeah, I just... So are we going to have a Nick Bosa era? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. I I, I think... He's really good, man. He's really freaking good. Like, it was... I know the sack totals weren't there last year, but it was so clear in... May I, I'm I'm going off the top of my head here, like maybe 11 or 12 of the Niners games, including the playoffs, that he was their best player by like, like by on a lot. defense, Yeah.
3: Yeah. The, the crazy thing is that like George Kittle's a 49ers best player in my yeah. opinion right now. Sure. But like the fact that Nick Bosa, you have a roster at, at the point where Nick Bosa is not your best player. You have a really good roster.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it no, that's to absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me if he won DPOY, but no, I I, I, I laid out why I I think he won. Uh, what well, I had one last thing for you. Um, by January or February of twenty twenty one, assuming this whole season plays out and it plays out on time,
3: so like week five,
2: yeah, so like February, <laughs> like. <laughs> Uh, So midway through the season in March, who are we? No, uh, let's assume the season plays out as normal and they crown a Super Bowl champion in early February. Are we looking at this Niners defensive line and saying, man, you know what? They shouldn't have traded DeForest Buckner. Or do you think that's going to be an afterthought?
3: I don't think they will have regrets about trading DeForest Buckner away unless Eric Armstead gets hurt. Mm. I think if everybody's healthy, um, you know, then then you're fine. You're going to be productive enough uh, to where you're not going to be feeling the loss of DeForest Buckner. But the big difference between DeForest Buckner and Eric Armstead is durability. And the fact that Buckner missed one game over the last four years. Armstead missed about half of his games for a couple of seasons there because he had hand surgery and shoulder surgery. Um, And he really only had one ultra productive season where he put it all together in terms of being a really good run defender and a really good pass rusher. Right. Right. So if Armstead's unavailable and Buckner's playing 80% of the snaps for the Colts, you're going to look at that and be like, man, that that's a tough decision. On the other hand, I will never argue with just the overall idea of team building of trading away a player who's not at a premium position, who is trying to get premium position money for an early draft pick,
2: right? Yeah, so like, absolutely. You'd take that deal every time.
3: Yeah, so I, I have no problem with the philosophy of trading away Buckner. I think the only way you regret it, like I said, is if Armstead is just unable to be productive because you essentially chose, the choice was Armstead and the number 13th pick or Buckner and whatever you get for armstead in a trade which probably would have been like a third round pick oh if maybe even later than that
2: class campbell went for what a fifth
3: right i just Uh, don't know like what what teams are trading for eric armstead for the right to pay him right like that takes away his value in a trade to me that's that's the niner's decision it's buckner or it's buckner and a third or fourth round pick whatever they got for armstead versus Armstead and the number 13 pick, which wound up being, becoming Kinlaw. They moved down one spot uh, in the Kinlaw deal and used that extra pick that they got to trade up for Brandon Ayuk. So it did make sense from that perspective. Um, you have to incorporate that too. So, yeah, I can't, you know, I'd, I'd love to sit here and say, I know how healthy Armstead's going to be this year. But I just, I think that's what it comes down to. If Armstead's healthy and plays in every game like he did last year. The Niners are fine. You're fine with allowing Buckner to make $21 million a year with Indy, um, but it's, it's going to come down to Armstead basically.
2: Cool. Alright, that's going to do it for today. Uh, we're going to do a holiday mailbag on Thursday, so if you're listening to this on Wednesday and want to send over your questions to at Chris Biederman, that's C-H-R-I-S-B-I-D-E-R M-A-N. On Twitter, I'm at Kyle A. Madsen, that's M-A-D- S-O-N- Send us your questions. 49 is related or not. Yeah. Uh, it's a holiday, it's a holiday mailbag. We're gonna have a little fun. Fourth of uh, July. That, that's coming up on Thursday. Can't wait. Yeah. See ya.
3: Bye guys.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in.